Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Sophie back for our weekly podcast. Hope everyone's doing fine. This week, we're talking about something that's pretty timely because we just finished the Olympics, which is always a very awe-inspiring event for many people, but I think for children as well as parents because everyone's looking with hope in their eyes as they watch the events and they watch the winners and they watch what makes and what goes into the makings of the winners. I think oftentimes when we watch the Olympics, the side shows and the side information that they give us about each individual or one of the athletes or their families, or they give us a little bit of the history of how that person got to this place in their life, it's always very interesting because you wonder what was that path that they took? What did they need to do? What did those parents need to do to build those tools within their child and within themselves and their family to be able to get to that center and place of excellence? So today, we're going to be talking about the tools, mental and physical, of excellence. What does it take to have them? Do we all have them? Are we born with them? Are they something that we really just have to look for inside ourselves and sharpen and strengthen? Or are some of us just never going to do it? So we're going to be talking to an expert today. We have call-ins. We have a lot of stuff going on today on the tools, mental and physical, of excellence. one sophie now or one 767 Give us a call. Every caller gets a free copy of Side by Side, my book on mother-daughter conflict resolution. Come on back. We've got a great expert. one sophie now one 767 4966 We're talking excellence. So today I'm joined by a very well-versed expert. Her name is Dr. Kate Hayes. She practices sports and performance psychology through her consulting practice, which is called The Performing Edge in Toronto. She's an independent scholar, and she's authored five books on the subject. She'll tell us about those. She offers workshops. She has a blog. I want to hear all about this kind of stuff because she is the past president of the Division of Exercise and Sports Psychology for the American Psychological Association. They're pretty heavy-duty credentials, and I think that she's going to be able to give us a lot of insight into what are these tools of excellence, both physical and mental? How do we get them? Do our children automatically have them? What does a family need to do? And what does she think about some of the athletes that she's seen in the Olympics and their path to excellence? Kate, you with me? I am indeed. How are you? Thank you for joining me. Delighted to do so. So, tell me a little bit about you. What would you like to know? Everything. (laughs) All the dirty details. No, I want to know, how did you get into this? Well, actually, I got into it in a slightly different way from many people who are involved in sports psychology. I had already been a psychologist and started running... um, in my 30s and just fell in love with it. And I was particularly intrigued by the changes in my thought process while I was running and shortly thereafter. Ooh, tell me more. I love that. Uh, Well, I, you know, as a psychologist, I just thought, this is really different. I'm I'm doing some problem solving in a different way from if I'm just sort of sitting at my desk and trying to figure things out. That's so cool. It is, and I find that with a number of people, actually, one of the things that I will suggest if they've got an issue that they're they're kind of wrestling with, and there's somebody who's pretty physically active, whether it's running or walking or swimming or biking, is to just ask oneself a question, whatever the, the big question is, and then go and do the activity 
And sometimes the the answer, the just the very best answer, kind of emerges. Um, kind it, of, it, it's like organically. You mean? It yeah. It, it's um, sort of in quotes. Right brain problem solving. It, it's more holistic and complete, and um, and and it's often the the exact right answer. That's interesting. And so, you know, many times we tell people you have to have a balanced life you know, the patients that we deal with or clients and you have to balance life, you have to eat, you have to sleep, you have to exercise. But you're really saying this exercise thing really plays a huge role in a lot of different factors. Well, it does. And and actually, from my own experience, I then began reading everything that I could and taking workshops and really learning. There's a whole field of sports psychology that uh, has been in existence for a hundred years, and people have been practicing uh, consulting in sports psychology for the past 50 years, but a lot of mental health professionals don't have training in it, don't know right. about it. Right, or the importance of it and what it really does. Absolutely, and and so I became intrigued both with sort of extrapolating my own experience, that is, what are the mental aspects of being physically active, how can it help you think more clearly, and all the research that exists on exercise as a way of managing and, and in some cases, preventing different kinds of mental illness. Right. Um, and then also the, the, the more traditional, if you will, sports psychology aspects of how to help an athlete from a mental perspective, become more focused and more capable. So interesting. So tell me, if we have, we have parents listening, we have, other, we have kids listening, children. I mean, is it realistic for them to take these kinds of things they're going to hear from you today, us today, our callers, and be able to translate that into their everyday life and maybe reach some of the hopes and dreams that they have of becoming excellent in whatever it is that they do? It doesn't have to be a gold medal. That, that's absolutely true, and, and so one of the other areas that I've been exploring for the past number of years is really that whole quality of excellence from a mental perspective in any area of performance. Tell me more. Well, maybe the place to start is what does one think of as performance? Who, who are performers? And... Again, sports psychology um, has all of this research, but there are applications to performing artists, to business executives, to people in high-risk professions. Right. And, and so if you think about sort of what, what is it that holds all of those together, um, those are fields where there are very high standards for performance. Right. Where people will need to perform at a particular moment in time and they will uh, be experiencing a certain amount of pressure uh, both from within themselves and externally. Right, from people expecting something. Yeah. Um, Whether it's your boss or it's an audience. Yes. And there will actually be consequences to how you perform at that particular moment. Which adds more pressure. Which adds more pressure. And, and so that leads then, very obviously, to... So what are the qualities that you need to have in order to be able 
to meet these challenges and to meet them well and to meet them consistently. So that's cool. So you're really basically talking about what we're talking about, the tools to meet that quality of a high performer, whether it's academically, athletically, spiritually, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Good. All right. Do you mind taking a caller and then we'll come back? That'd be great. Brent? Yes. Hey, it's Dr. Sophie. And you're Hi, on with, Dr. Sophie. And you're on How with are Dr. you? I'm good. How are you? And you have Dr. Kate okay. Hayes. So tell us what you want to know about the tools of mental and physical excellence. Well, I guess uh, for me, I, I am a performer. I, I'm an actor. And, you know, obviously when I go into an audition, there's a lot of preparation that leads up to that audition. And it's easy, even with, you know, even in an acting class, it's easy to be very connected and focused and in the moment uh, when you're when you're preparing for a role, but a lot of times when I get into the room and I'm with I'm in front of casting directors and producers who I've never met. Right. Um, it seems like that that time is almost like a blur. It's much more difficult to be focused and live in the moment and Perform. be mentally. And yeah, exactly. So you, you yeah, that's interesting. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I'm just wondering if there if you have any tips. Uh, or, you know, thoughts I can keep in mind when I'm, when I'm in a situation like that to stay connected and focused in the moment? That's such a great question. Dr. Hayes. It is. It, it's a wonderful question, in part because it speaks, again, to the, the general aspect of performance. And certainly many of the people who I work with experience exactly this discrepancy I do fine when I'm in practice, and then the performance moment happens, and I lose focus, or my golf swing falls apart, or all of those kinds mm-hmm. of things. Right. And is it is it safe to say it's all anxiety, or no? Well, it, um, it can it can look like anxiety. Right. Uh, and some of the ways of handling it can be similar to what you deal with with anxiety. It might be for an actor that calling it performance anxiety feels perfectly okay. If you say that to a surgeon um, who's starting to lose focus, oh, well, you've just got performance anxiety. She or he is not going to be real enthusiastic about that term. I bet they would. (laughs) So what is it then? So I think the the key um, is really around focus and how do you train yourself to focus well and then to come back to that focus as you start to lose it? Because we all have that experience of of having our minds drift a little bit and, and really needing to sort of catch oneself and come back. So how do you do that? Because it's easy to get distracted by whatever, especially if you're anxious and not really solid in owning that. So how does he own it? Okay. So one of, one of the pieces that I really encourage people to do is to learn how to breathe diaphragmatically in order to regulate the amount of energy, intensity, arousal, tension, what, whatever you want to call it. And that's something, I mean, we all get told, oh, just relax, just take a deep breath. But in fact, mm-hmm. knowing how to take a deep breath is, is critically important. So you, and re- you really mean take a deep breath? I mean take a deep breath, which is, sometimes it's called belly breathing. There are 
various ways that you can learn it, but I, I just can't emphasize enough how important it is to know how to breathe correctly because otherwise what will happen, in fact, is you'll take shallow breaths and become more anxious and more distracted. So how do you learn? Uh, well, if you take yoga, uh, sometimes you can have really good instructors who can help you learn. My, I guess, right at the moment, what I'd say is I've got a blog on psychology today uh, that's called The Edge, and I wrote three different blogs that are very specific about diaphragmatic breathing, so I'd recommend uh, that as a way of of really seeing uh, what the steps are. There are some really good videos on YouTube as well. Really, okay. like focused on diaphragmatic breathing. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's that's one piece. I, to my mind, that's often the the starting point. Okay. I think for okay, an great. actor, uh, maybe another point is to to really pay attention to who your character is in this audition, and yeah. to kind of keep coming back to that character because part of the audition anxiety is getting self-conscious. And mm -hmm. so if you can move from the self-consciousness, oh, what are they thinking of me, back to who am I right now, mm -hmm. that can be very useful as well. Okay. So really breathe dia diaphragmatically, focus on who you need to be in that moment, mm -hmm. and, and own it. Mm -hmm. and, and would you recommend then practicing these things before he's actually in there? Even, oh, absolutely. Even outside of acting class. Yes. Because the more that he practices, the easier it is to access and keep it. Right. I mean, there's that old joke about how do you get to Carnegie Hall. Yes. And I think, I think the setup is a guy gets into a taxi in New York and says, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? And thinking that the driver is going to say 57th Street, and of course the driver says, practice, practice, right. practice. Ah, <laughs> right. So yeah, I mean, I think, does that really, does that help you, Brent? Because as, as simple as they may be, they're really very impactful tools, because I don't think everybody realizes the importance of getting oxygen to your brain, and all of that stuff, and how it does regulate your whole brain and your body piece of that physical stuff that you're feeling, from palpitations yeah. to sweating to you know, your cracky voice or whatever, and then know who you need to be and be it. Like, practice it in the grocery store, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah, no, that's, that's great advice. And I, I haven't really thought about the breathing aspect of it, and I haven't concentrated on that. So I will, I'll definitely take that advice. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for calling in. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. And, you know, Dr. Hayes, I also think it's important because many people don't understand that even just the fact of focusing on the breathing will distract them enough from being anxious or concerned or feeling, you know, like they're wavering back and forth. That's absolutely true. That, that's, I mean, there, there are so many useful elements of breathing and certainly moving from the distracted thoughts back to the breathing and, right. and that it's something you've always got with you. Exactly. And you can, it, it doesn't cost anything and you can practice it anywhere. And the more you master it, the better. Yeah. All right, so tell me a little bit more about what you think parents can do to see if their children want and have the tools to be able to become 
you know, excellent in something because so many parents are these days pushing their children, they're overscheduled or they're in four activities after school and they want them to be the best and half the time these children don't even know if they like these things because they're exhausted. Absolutely, and, and I think you're touching on some very important points. A lot of this has to do with children's stage of development. Right. And we, as a culture, just have gotten so caught up in earlier, faster, better, more, right, right. and so on. And that really is not necessarily going to get a child where a parent wants them to be. Because? At least two things. One is the child needs to really feel passionate about the activity. And the second is that at different ages and stages, children need different kinds of support from their parents. I just saw a very interesting um, documentary film called First Position. And one of the things that really struck me about it, it's about children getting ready to compete in a ballet competition, major ballet competition. Right. And watching the kids who just are so thrilled to be able to practice every single day, to practice their um, particular performance area, they are what's known technically as intrinsically motivated. They just want to do this thing. These kids are the driven kids. Yeah. And, and for some, actually, what's really important in parent support then becomes how to help them get a bit more balanced, how to... Have the fun put back in. Yeah. Yeah, because I see that in my... I have a son, and I mean, some of the kids in his class, are, I mean, in his school are really great performers, and they're out all the time, whether it's on an ice, ice skating rink or in the gym doing gymnastics or whatever, but they're not in school a lot. Mm-hmm. And they miss the social side of that all. They miss that. But they also, I think, if kids become too focused in one area too early, that becomes their entire identity. See, and I want to talk more about that because I don't think parents really understand the fact that as they focus their child to become this excellent person in this specific thing, that they sometimes have that run, they run that risk of being like kind of weird. Well, it's not only that. I, I agree with you. That can happen. But it's also, so what happens if the kid gets injured? What happens if the kid does right. get selected right. for a particular right. team? You're so right. I mean, like, honestly, I see so many high school kids that are brought to me when they get that injury. Mm -hmm. They don't know where to fall and the family doesn't know where to turn because that's all their life has been. So yeah. their social setting is like off. All of it. All of it. Mm -hmm. So how do they prevent this stuff? Just in balance? Well, so uh, there's research again from sports psychology that suggests that in terms of stages, uh, when kids are sort of in in youngish childhood, so maybe six to ten, what they really need is to explore a number of different kinds of activities to see what they gravitate towards, what they like, what their bodies naturally adapt to, and that kind of thing. And so what parents need to do is, is to really support them in a variety of activities, not 
right. necessarily get overly focused. So make sure that they have balance. But I guess what I hear from parents is that then they get anxious that if they take that child and they're playing with their friends, that's time they could be practicing. But then you're saying there's a price to that. So balance it and really be aware. There is. And, and one of the prices is burnout. Right. So right. Uh, a, a sports psychologist at Michigan State University, uh, Daniel Gould, did some very interesting research on 15, 16-year-old tennis players who had burned out. Right. Uh, they had been so focused on just this one thing that by the time they were teens, they really were not interested in, in continuing in the sport. And these were uh, extraordinary athletes. That's so sad because you've put all that time in as a parent or as a, and financially maybe, and all of those things, the essentials that went into building that, and then they lose their interest in it or their taste mm-hmm. for it because they're, they're dulled by it. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that is the risk that they run. So really, you know, looking at balance from all ends and, you know, not falling into the pit of anxiety saying, well, if I don't practice 24 seven and they have some fun, it's going to throw them off balance because the price is bigger. Mm-hmm. Okay. How about we take a voicemail and we'll come back. All right. Hey, Dr. Sophie, it's Phil. I'm a senior in college, and I recently found out that one of my classes this year is going to be 100% of the grade is going to be on the final. And I was a little nervous about it. And I recently saw your podcast, and I've been watching the Olympics and just seeing how these athletes will train for four years for for pretty much one race, and it's kind of on the line, and these, they can perform so admirably, and they can they can do so well. And I was just wondering if there are any techniques and, and mental things that they do in mental training that helps them to to kind of prepare for that one moment and perform at the top of their abilities. So thank you so much. Great question. You know, because it does sometimes come down to just that 30 seconds, 60 seconds, whatever it is. And presumably the the final exam is a little bit longer than 30 seconds. You would hope so, unless they're <laughs> really, really smart, which I'm probably sure they're not. Um, again, sort of the application of these principles to specific areas of performance. So what we were talking about before certainly is relevant. Um, I, I think one piece that I would throw in additionally is what is sometimes called a pre-performance plan. Okay. So if uh, Phil knows when the exam is going to happen and really thinks through maybe the the number of days even leading yeah. up to that exam. So organize and Organize, plan. certainly... Uh, even earlier, set some very specific goals around studying that's going to occur throughout the semester. Uh, but but closer to the exam itself, uh, what does he need to do in the way of getting his his body and mind ready for this exam? Right. Ready for this performance right. moment. Because many, many kids, I, I'm sure, I mean, I see them in my patients give their parents a hard time because, oh, I'll study later. Don't worry. I'll get it done. And then you go get and it's not done. Mm-hmm. So and I think the earlier they learn that, the better. Well, and, and with a situation like this, which is it's sort of like the European model uh, of, of education. Right. Where 
basically you do whatever all semester and then you need to perform. Well, that whatever exactly. really needs to happen in a systematic way. Yeah, otherwise you do get bowled over, whether it's the feeling of anxiety or whatever. You just can't get up to get it all done and you feel defeated. Mm-hmm. So what we're saying is really just a pre-performance plan for somebody like Phil to be able to feel confident also that it's not hanging out there. It's got a path on it and it has an outcome. Yep. Cool. Okay. So tell me a little bit about what you thought about the Olympics and all of those wonderful athletes. Well, it was a fascinating process, and, and I actually got to observe it in two different countries, which is also oh, neat. very interesting. I, I was in the U.S. for part of it, and I was back in Canada for part of it. And so one of the pieces is it really depends where you are, what it is that you get by way of information. Really? Oh, totally. That's so neat. Why, though? Well, uh, the media controls, obviously, a lot of the content, but also the identification and the issues of what is it that's important. So in the U.S., it was sort of a given that there would be loads of medals, and the issue was how many golds would there be. Right. In Canada, the medal question was how many medals would there be altogether, just to, to use a very simple outcome sort of example. So the focus is different based on each country or what they find to be the thing that they're interested the most in. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Obviously, the the personal stories are ones that I think so many of us find yeah. really fascinating. Yes. Those are the things that grab us. And why do you think that is? Because I think we live all of our lives essentially by narrative, by story, by people relating at a very personal kind of level. And does it, you think it gives people hope? I think it, it can. Uh, it, it can give them despair as right, well. Right, right, right. But it's just really knowing those details makes it feel more intimate, more real, more human? Yeah. Uh, that is like kind of what the media then picks up on and brings these people off to the side and starts to open them up a little bit for us. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that, that would be both a, a connection and also perhaps a difference that I was thinking about was um, the number of Muslim athletes who yeah. were performing in the Olympics at the time of Ramadan, when if they are being observant, they're actually not eating or drinking anything uh, from, from dawn to dusk. So what do they do? They seem to have managed that fairly well, uh, to have really focused at a different kind of level. And again, in terms of what we were talking about with preparation, to have really taken into account that this was how the Olympics was going to be for them and that they would need to to prepare in this way. And I'm sure they've probably had experience in the past of how they dealt with it and whether that worked or not and changes. Absolutely. And, and many of them have competed during Ramadan in other kinds of major events. That's so so cool. they, they know their bodies they know their minds, they know the interaction between the two, they, they understand 
what the impact of nutrition is for them. So they must then have a pre-performance plan. Exactly. Good job. Yeah. So, I mean, in a bigger picture, though, you look at some of these individual athletes like, you know, Michael, Phelps, Gabby, Douglas. What do you think? Well, with Phelps, I think the thing that is just so astounding and impressive is his number of medals over the years really says that this is a guy who is very consistent, who has figured out how to perform absolutely at the top of his game. So you're saying this is a guy who has gotten to master what earlier Brent called about, that performance anxiety piece. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and it, it, it's interesting because I think some athletes, or again, some performers, will have figured that out kind of on their own. Right. Some people will find that it's very useful to get some support and some instruction. Uh, some will be fine except at a time of a very, very big event. I would assume that, that Phelps has just sorted this out because what a person really needs to be able to do is to perform excellently over and over and over again. Again, that, that consistency. That consistency, right. Yeah. And so you think he's, you know, obviously if somebody is that successful, they have mastered that. Yeah. Because it, most of them have mastered for more or less the skill that they're doing, the swimming or the diving or the jumping or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's really the mastery comes from the internal ability to stay there, stay focused, breathe, and own that space. Yeah, and to do that under this extraordinary pressure and, again, the the more medals he had won, the more the pressure was on for him to... To stay in the moment <laughs> yeah. and own that. Yeah. That's interesting. And so really, would you say then that that's really one of the most important keys to have if you're going to be striving for excellence, both physically and mentally, is the ability to just kind of know where you need to be to own it? Yeah. And the owning is very interesting because certainly I am sure he was very conscious of exactly how many medals he had won. But I would bet that while he was swimming, he wasn't thinking about, okay, so is this going to be 17, is this going to be 18, is this going to be 19? Right. He was, th- he was thinking about swimming. Right, only. Yep. Similar to maybe the way he thought about swimming at his fifth meet somewhere earlier in his life. Yeah. And not have that other stuff in his head. Right. Which are really distractors. Mm-hmm. And what do distractors do then, do you think? Well, to be totally circular, they distract you. Yes. And <laughs> they do that by your mind going off to the left. Yeah. And then you're not aware of maybe whatever the physical thing that you're doing. So you're not really aware of your form or you're not really aware of, you know, where you're at in the race or with those kinds of things. Right. And distractors are also those negative thoughts that can come in or the the positive anticipation. Again, oh, you know, if I just do such and such, then I will get this outcome. Right. And so thinking that is, a, as you're saying, is a distractor as well. Yes. And when you say negative, you mean what? Negative thoughts as a distractor? Uh, oh, it can be the, the what if. What if I screw up here or um, I just made that error? Uh, so it, it can be all of the, the kind of mental chatter that, exactly. that's so yeah, easy yeah. for us to get into. That's a great way to put it. And so then 
the only way to really limit the chatter or extinguish the chatter is to really master the skill of keeping them out? Well, it's an interesting one because certainly a lot of what we have tended to encourage people to do has been to to just move that thought out, not go there, or come up with a counter-argument. But I think increasingly, as the whole area of mindfulness is something that, that people have been intrigued by, it can also be a matter of just noticing the yeah. distraction rather than feeling like you have to fight it, just recognizing, ah, oh, that showed up again. Okay, now what do I want to do? Because I think that's important what you're saying, because if you do become anxious again over noticing it, then you're adding gas to that fire. Mm-hmm. I got it. So overall, tell me about what you think comes from these Olympics, because, you know, the themes that you see, because I think they're very important for the takeaways of anybody watching these, but especially across the world, sitting in your living room, what are those bigger uh, themes that really are good takeaways for families? Well, I would hope that one would be excellence doesn't just happen. Right. Again, that it takes practice. There's been very interesting research that suggests that it takes deliberate practice, which means not necessarily a whole lot of fun, but really putting in the hours in a very intentional kind of way. But with balance. But with balance. Got it. Yeah. And and then how about like, you know, you see the courage of people or you see Mm -hmm. how they deal with a defeat. Like, tell me about them. I mean, they're not always bad things. Right. And I, I think that one of the things that can be really important in, in practice as well as in performance is to have a chance to reflect afterwards and to really think about, okay, what went really well? What didn't go well? What did I learn from this? What do I want to do differently the next time? And you think also sitting in your living room, parents should talk about that with their children or within themselves to really see how someone is handling it and the grace and the elegance that they take that defeat or that triumph. Absolutely. And I think recognizing and, and really allowing oneself to, to pay attention to some of, some of the negative experiences afterwards, not during, and then be able to say, okay, what do I want to do with that? Because uh, I, I think it's important to neither discount emotions nor get totally wrapped up in them. Got it. Okay, let's take another caller and then we'll come back. Jenny, are you there? I'm here. How are you? I'm good. How are you? You're on with Dr. Hayes and myself. Thank you for calling. Thank you. Um, I have a daughter who's a gymnast who gets rather nervous before competitions, and we watched the Olympics, and she saw how gracefully the gymnasts were able to do the different beams and whatnot. And my question is, what? how can I help her get mentally prepared before competitions, you know, using them as an example, like what, what skill, you know, what can she do to not get overwhelmed and before she goes out to perform. Okay, before you answer, uh, Dr. Hayes, I have a question. Do you, Mom, get nervous or anything? Um, I try not to let her know. Right, but you do. Sometimes. Okay, so then, then Dr. Hayes, you can answer my question with her question. (laughs) Does that matter? Yes. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) 
And it was a great question to Wasn't ask. Wasn't that good? Yeah. <laughs> I should have a radio show. <laughs> and and thank you for your honesty in in, in answering. Yes. Because thank you. of course our kids absolutely know what we're feeling. And so so one of one of the questions for you might be what is it that you are feeling nervous about and how do you go about managing that for yourself? I think it's I, mostly not wanting her to get disappointed. It's uh-huh. not really the win or the loss. It's not wanting to see her sad or see her lose sad. Or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so I I end up doing a lot of work actually with young gymnasts and and very often it's around just those kinds of issues and and questions. And I think that uh, one one very useful piece is to for both of you to go back to why did she get started doing this in the first place? What right. was it that she loved about doing gymnastics? And are there ways in which she can come back to some of those feelings and really start enjoying doing the gymnastics again? So that takes the pressure off, and then everybody take a deep breath to see what the f- reason was to start the whole process and kind of reconfigure them? Mm-hmm. Again, if you think about the Olympics and think about um, those moments when you could just see the joy, I, thinking of Gabby Douglas, of course, um, but just you could really see the, the joy in her entire being. And, uh, and how do people lose sight of that original why they went into it and the fun and enjoyment of it from the pressure of that builds over years of competition? Well, I think it can be the the competition pressure um, with gymnastics. There's also changes that happen in body structure and changes in difficulty too. Sometimes athletes really get moved forward before they're quite ready. And And, that adds uh, pressure too. And that adds pressure as well. And another piece is um, how the communication is between the coach and the athlete and and the triangle of coach, parent, and athlete. Yeah, that's interesting too, dynamic. Mm -hmm. I mean, does that make sense, Jenny? Because I think the issue is, you know, keep yourself in check basically. I think so. Get back to the basics of the enjoyment of why you had it, and maybe that pressure off really gets your focus more centered, and it's kind of easier. Yeah, I think um, I definitely have to work on that and just make sure there's not pressure coming from the coaches as well. Or from you, stage mama. Don't be a stage mama. mama. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and it's the kind of thing that you can really discuss with your daughter. It's not going to get her more nervous. Ah, that's interesting. About my anxieties? Yeah, Yeah. and, and you know, you can... You can maybe ask her what she would find most supportive from you, and you can ask her to let you know if she's if she feels you're coming through in the ways that help her, or if there are things that you do that she would really rather that you not do. Yeah, that'll be okay. a long list, I bet. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but that's the, that's to be expected. Exactly. Well, cool. that's very helpful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for calling, Jen. Thank you. Bye. Okay, so Dr. Kate Hayes, tell me about what you need us to know about you, because I think your books are really interesting. I am very glad to be in contact with people. Probably easiest is through my website, which is theperformingedge.com. 
Um, another piece that may not come through on radio is that my last name is a little bit quirky. Most people whose last name is Hayes Has spell their e. name H-A-Y-E-S. Mm, right. I'm one of those H-A-Y-S folk. Somebody's trying to track me down. Okay. Um, Think of straw, right? <laughs> That's what I thought of. Yes. And Halloween's coming, so there you go, everybody. H-A-Y-S. <laughs> I love giving workshops and glad to do that. And, and basically, I think very often I see a lot of what I do as kind of translating from maybe the more esoteric to something that, that people can make practical use of. See, and that's so important to give them the ability to take something that is kind of like a thought and they can't even begin to get their arms or head around, and you give it to them in a concrete way for them to live it. Mm-hmm. That's nice. So the most recent book is called Performance Psychology in Action. That's it. Yep. That's, that's right the here. one. That's you knew it. that. I did know that. <laughs> you just got you just got done doing it. Aren't you tired? Uh, well, it was a couple of years ago, and it was, it was a book that I edited. And even though it's written kind of for a professional audience, it's the kind of book that I think anybody will really find very intriguing because what I did was to ask colleagues who work in various areas of performance to focus on a particular issue. So it might be competitive anxiety or it might be emotional intelligence or confidence, perfectionism. That's so cool. And had them give a case illustration as well as some of the research. And so it really kind of comes alive. Again, these, it, it comes alive through story. That's great. So they really they learn about it, and then they see it in action. Mm-hmm. Very nice, very nice. So we can find you at theperformanceedge.com. The Performing the Edge. Theperformingedge.com. And you have a blog? I do. So the blog is on psychology today. Okay. And it's called The Edge. Got it. And we can communicate with you either place. The blog. That would be fine. Yep, you can Great. get to me either way. And your book, we can get anywhere. Probably easiest online. It was published by the American Psychological Association. Got it. And they have it on their website. They do. And as far as that goes, if you go to any of the Amazon.com and that sort of thing, you can pick it up through there. Perfect. So thank you very much for your time. It's been unbelievable information, really good, deep thinking in a simple way. I appreciate that. Well, it's been lovely talking with you and, and with your listeners. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was Dr. Kate Hayes, H-A-Y-S, and she is a sports and performance psychologist, gave us great advice, great understanding and insight into what makes excellence excellence and really how to stay there or how to deal with some of the issues that some of the callers had regarding that kind of an issue, whether it's performance anxiety in an audition or there's performance anxiety in school. The bottom line is she tells us we need a pre-performance plan to be able to plan it out. If you're going to study for a test, make yourself aware of it, plan it out so that you're not overwhelmed. If you're going to go into some kind of an audition or some kind of a performance, really own the fact that you need certain tools that have to be on your fingertips and easy to do. Good breathing, diaphragmatic breathing. She says you can learn this on YouTube, anywhere anywhere you can get it, Google it or something. But learn how to do it because it's something that's free and it's easy to do, but it really can change your life in those instances where you are 
going to perform and need to do it in a focused mental and physical way. Also, she tells us that we need to be in that moment. So if you're going to perform, be who you need to be at that moment. Don't be worried about who you will be if you don't win or who you should be if you do win. And all of those distractors, be who you are to be in that moment. You're a swimmer, be a swimmer and nothing else but that. Deep breathe, get oxygen to your head, to your heart, to your body parts and perform. And she tells us that will bring us physical and mental excellence. So thank you very much, Dr. Kate Hayes. We were uh, talking, and we always welcome your calls at one eight five five sophie now or one eight five five seven six seven. I'm available on my website at www.drsophie.com. Again, www.drsophie.com. And always follow me. I really want you to follow me on Twitter and Facebook. Get some great updates, some great insights, and some great articles. And I'll tell you where I'm going to be if you need to see me. Uh, visit iTunes to download the full version of Andy Grammer's Keep Your Head Up. And most importantly, don't forget to sweep. But you gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down.